artificial intelligence is poised to radically transform the future of work in the supply chain. What does that mean for the human workforce? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. There seems to be no link in global supply chains that hasn't already been or isn't soon to be affected by artificial intelligence. But what form will the technology take? Are we in for a science fiction-like future with talking machines lording it over we poor mortals? Or will humans continue to play an important role? On this episode, I'm talking AI with Fred Laluyo, President and CEO of Era Technology. We look at the many aspects of AI as it relates to supply chain management and dig even deeper into the question of which tasks are best handled by humans and which should be automated. We'll talk about where certain AI-driven engines are falling short, and we'll speculate on the kind of training and knowledge that the humans of the future will need to possess in order to work alongside these almighty machines. So here is my conversation with Fred Laluyo. Fred Laluyo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Fred, as we speak today, where has artificial intelligence already had the biggest impact on the nature of work and human jobs? It's moving very fast. The biggest impact to me is in automation of tasks that the humans are not so great at doing repeatedly. 24-7, but it's also moving very fast with what I, what I call the augmentations, the ability to compute, predict across vast amount of data and really deliver insight that would otherwise not be possible in real time. So the use cases that we see specifically in supply chain of a lot of work right now in forecasting and demand forecasting, being able to analyze vast amount of data and derive from them predictions of demand levels but also the ability to sense what can influence the demand positively or negatively and act dynamically with those systems. So the augmentation and automations are really the two, the two drivers, um, repeating tasks that humans are not so great at doing over and over, is but also going through vast amount of data to predict business outcomes is, is really where we see a lot of traction right now in the market. So the first thing we think about maybe in terms of the capability of AI, and I know this isn't the only thing, but as you would seem to indicate, it's the question of the sheer scale of data out there that is beyond the ability of human beings to be able to make any sense of today, correct? Yeah, it's exactly right, right? If, if you think about the difference between a, a digital native company and a non-digital native, digital natives I'm calling the, the Amazons of the world, they've started capturing data and they're looking at every single problem that's facing their operations as a software issue. And they're, they're deploying algorithms to actually make sense of the data. And it's part of their DNA. You've got the non-digital natives that are still wrestling with harnessing the power of the data internal and external, and really trying to run as fast as the digital natives, it's incredibly difficult because the data has to be processed in a certain way that allows the algorithms to be efficient, and then for the humans to interact with those algorithms and make quick decisions. It's a very complex problem if you haven't been 
structuring your entire DNA as a company and your entire information systems to really harness the power of that data. We see that gap between the digital natives and the non-digital natives, and I'm talking about company here, not people, uh, are growing really, really fast. So it's a giant issue. And, and I think what we've seen in the last decade is that the effectiveness, especially when you think about supply chain, which can require ongoing adjustments in real time, the effectiveness of the companies that can harness the power of the data and of the algorithms is really, really superior to those who cannot. So the, the performance gap really is growing and there is a strong desire right now for non-digital medics to really catch up uh, in that domain. Well, everything indeed seems to be going digital. That's the word of the day. And uh, there's so much, yeah. so many claims out there for the ability of AI, and so many companies are rushing to embrace it in so many ways. I am wondering, once again, uh, just talking about the state of AI today, is there any hype factor mm. remaining? Has AI in any way been oversold? How could I not say yes to that? Of course, every time you're talking about selling technology, you're talking about hype, you're talking about overselling, you're talking about very high level of expectations. But the question is why? Why is there an interest right now from those companies out there to leverage AI as much as they can? It's because to my previous point, they know the pain, they feel the pain. And what I discuss with my customers on an ongoing basis is the fact that there is an actual degradation of the performance of, let's just say, the planners in large organizations. 20 years ago, they had a pivotal role in, in supply chain, and they could actually, the speed at which they were making decisions and the quality and the accuracy of the decisions that they were delivering or making enabled tangible performance improvements in a continuous manner. But when you're competing against a giant digital network with a brain on top that actually optimizes the supply chain in real time, your people, as well-trained as they are, as willing as they can be, cannot compete. So I think the hype comes from the fact that there is a profound realization that people organized with the best tools and the best network collaboration and so on and so forth cannot compete with the digital natives, cannot compete with those digital systems. And of course, that creates a tension that generates a bit of hype. I think just to, to add to this, what I've seen in the last few years is a tendency for some to actually say, give me your data and I'll apply my algorithms and I'll give you the results and I'll help you make better decisions. I think now we're realizing that this doesn't work because to make sense of the data, to help predict business performance or outcome, you need to have an intimate knowledge of the business. So it's a combination of knowing the business intimately and knowing the, the data and the algorithms. So I think there's been a lot of hype in the first few years of this internet scale access for AI algorithms where we thought by just plugging algorithms on top of data sets, the problem would be resolved. And now we're realizing that we need to bring that into a fully integrated system where the data, the algorithms, but the users, those who intimately know a market and how a company operates, have to come together to become really competitive and leverage uh, those tools. Well, let's talk more about this brain, though, because uh, you know, which a word we use for lack of a better term, and, and maybe you have no problem with it either. But this brain, like a human brain, only knows what it has either been taught or experienced itself. What are the challenges right. involved in feeding in the requisite amount of data and information that allows the system to therefore function, to be smart, quote-unquote? Doesn't it require armies of human beings slaving away in little terminals, just 
endlessly feeding in information into the machine? Uh, so I think there is something real interesting in your question since the role of the humans in interaction with that brain. I think there is a bit of a sci-fi view of the world right now that this giant brain, which I'm happy to describe further, will make the role of the humans uh, disappear. That's completely wrong in my opinion. I think you'll see that those brains, you're absolutely right, need to be fed constantly, need to be monitored. Just think about the brain analogy with what happened on the shop floor. We moved from 100 years ago, 50 years ago, from people doing the work, the actual work of moving the good through the production chain to robots doing the work. But people are still there and controlling. So we went from people doing the work supported by machines and machinery and so on and so forth to machines doing the work controlled by people. The control by people is still there. And I think that we're a few years away from having a fully autonomous system where the brain, as we say, can actually intelligently detect the data sources, dump the data, process it, decide which algorithm to train and how to train the algorithms. This is a little bit of sci-fi. I think we're yeah. at this stage now where we can properly orchestrate people and brain working together so that the brain can take more and more of the work that the humans are not so good at. We're not really good at working 24-7. We're not really good at processing billions of records of data. We're not really good at pattern recognition. There's a bunch of stuff that we're not really good at that computers can really help us. And I think the key right now is to work on that orchestration. How do we make the humans and the people working together? How do we bring that brain? Now, the other thing that I would want to call out there is you don't have intelligence without memory. And that's a broader statement, but companies that uh, I see in the market today struggle with this constant repeat. I'm, start, I'm restarting my planning process. Every time a planner moves from one market or one job to another, there's a lot of lo there's a giant loss of knowledge, that tribal knowledge, that intimate knowledge of the market or systems or customers. And that needs to be digitized. And we can feed that brain with mm -hmm. the information that will be there in a permanent basis will allow the brain, as a simple result of that, to get better and smarter over time. So there is a sci-fi view of the giant brain that's doing the work, and then there is the how do we augment humans' capabilities to process data, to, to work in real time, to react a lot faster. If there is a signal in the market, the system can detect it, analyze it, and then come back with a recommendation. That's one way of thinking about the brain as an augmentation mechanism. The other way, which I really believe is critical, is to build that permanent memory. I'll give you a very clear example. Google. If you think about the Google search algorithm, 10 years back, Google made a decision to crawl the Internet, bring every single web page of the Internet on their servers to process that data and then plug an algorithm on top that will deliver results. My point being, 10 years ago, you remember that Google was saying, hey, these are the best 10 results I can give you in a fraction of a second. Mm -hmm. Today, that fraction of a second information has disappeared from their page because over time, the quality of the recommendations has improved. And I think mm -hmm. you need to bring that same logic in the transaction processing and in the decision making of enterprise. There's nothing magical about this. It's not sci-fi. It's just leveraging internet scale computing new data systems, and the algorithms that we're discussing to augment and automate some of the 
human capabilities, but they're still going to be working together. It sounds like you're describing what in the early days of AI was referred to as expert systems, which is a term that I don't hear that much anymore. And I'm wondering, is that indeed what we're talking about, or is that somehow irrelevant, or has that been surpassed by some more accurate terminology? What you're saying is a lot of sense, and those systems are expert systems. I think they are able to augment and automate some of the work. The augmentation comes from the ability to apply logic at scale in real time. And that's one aspect. And the other aspect is the ability to learn from the impact of the recommendations that the system delivers over time. But also to retain a body of human knowledge that stays steady. As you point out, when human data scientists go away, they take their expertise with them. Now we appear to be talking about a system that digitizes that body of knowledge and keeps it there for all time, regardless of where the people are. That's exactly right. I mean, as I said, I call that building a permanent memory of all the decisions that are made in an organization. And this is how the systems get better over time. We tend to have a very short-term view of those AI systems that can you deliver a better, more accurate forecast today for me Yes, of course, the system should be able to do that. But we have to be patient because those systems will be trained and will, by retaining that information over time, will be able to retrain and improve the accuracy of these systems. This is, again, talking another analogy, if I may. Think about what Waymo, the Google self-driving company, is doing. They've driven tens of millions of miles on the road, accumulating that knowledge and building that memory. The key here, what we should not forget, is that once that function of, let's say, in the case of Waymo, it's driving on the road, has been digitized. It's digitized forever. And I Mm -hmm. think companies need to realize that once they've made the effort to digitize, thanks to AI and data systems and so on and so forth, let's say a a forecasting or a demand supply balancing or an inventory optimization model, once it's been digitized and the system is self-learning, it's digitized forever. They can improve over time, but the initial investment will pay off over the very long run. And there is a very strong paradigm shift here in the way we consume those systems, in the way we think about them. That's why I keep talking about automation, but also augmentation. It's not a one-off, oh, two plus two equals four, I'm done with my implementation, my system works. The system Mm -hmm. needs to be constantly monitored and improved to the point where they deliver a level of accuracy that's giving you a competitive advantage, whatever it is that you're applying it to. There is really a little bit of a paradigm shift here in the way we think about the interactions between the systems and the people and how people are actually going to be controlling and improving the systems of the time. Yeah, it seems like there's another interesting irony in that one of the definitions of human intelligence or what the human brain does, it is a pattern-seeking organ. We are pattern-seeking people. And yet it seems like AI, with its ability to analyze and kind of digest more information than any human being could actually manage, is achieving a level of pattern identification and and pattern-seeking that we could never in our human brains do. It does seem to have surpassed us in that way quite a while ago, right? Absolutely correct. And the pattern seeking, again, the more data you throw at a pattern seeking, the more accurate it gets. And it kind of mm-hmm. echoes what we just said earlier. You'll start by loading in your system two, three years of historicals, and that's great. You'll learn, you'll refine the algorithm. Basically, you'll throw new criteria, new parameters to retrain and optimize because you'll see that some of the uh, parameters have a stronger influence than others on the accuracy of the output. 
But as mm-hmm. we just said earlier, the ability to retain that knowledge over time, the ability to retain and capture more and more data over time will only benefit the accuracy of, of the algorithms. And this is where the humans, we, we, we're very, very good at processing some functions, but we're not good at doing this over time and at scale. And this is where we can work so well with the algorithms. We're going to have to learn. If you're an information worker today, looking at my kids, not understanding those systems will just prevent them from having a career. The same way you're today have to know how to use a spreadsheet and a and our grandparents have to know how to use a typewriter, knowing and understanding how those systems work will be the key of having uh, a successful career in the future. And I think it's the case already today. The new spreadsheet, right? The new tools that are going to be augmenting our capabilities. Imagine you're a planner today and you don't know how to use a planning tool or spreadsheet. Well, you can't do your job. It's just the Mm -hmm. next iteration of that. But that next iteration comes with a as I mentioned, the paradigm shift on how work is being done and how humans are now really fundamentally, dynamically augmented by the systems. Now, something I read the other day, and I don't know how much stock to put in this. I don't know how significant it is. Mm-hmm. But it was saying that some of the services, the Netflix services and maybe Amazon too, were uncovering a dissatisfaction on the part of their customers as to their ability to accurately suggest additional things for them to watch and listen to. That the customers didn't feel that the algorithms were doing that great a job and that therefore, ironically, these companies were hiring human beings to perform a kind of bespoke concierge type thing where human beings were doing the job that the machines supposedly took over from human beings. How much stock should I put in that? Might there be a gap in the ability of algorithms up to this point? We still need people for that in some cases? Absolutely. And I think you're calling out a very good point here. But the nature of the recommendations that those systems is delivering is very different than what you will find in a much more narrow use case for, I'll just stay on the same example, demand forecasting. They have basically a lot of unknowns in the algorithm. When I say they, talking about the Amazons and, uh, of the world, they have a massive amount of unknowns uh, on both sides of the algorithm. So it's very hard to do. And we've all had the experience of you order something on, on one of those sites, and the next day you see the same good backup saying you should buy it. Well, I just bought it. Yeah. Why would you recommend the same good over and over? And that's really not an AI issue. I think it's fundamentally a way these companies have been managing their recommendation engines. But I think the point you're making, which is very interesting, is the fact that, and I fundamentally believe that, AI is only as good as the humans that are sitting behind it. When I talk about moving from people doing the work supported by machines to machines doing the work, but controlled, supervised, led by people. This is how you get the best results. We're not yet at a phase where AI can do everything. Now, for some specific processes, we have customers who are in full touchless mode, right? We have clients doing touchless forecasting, meaning the the signals are coming into the system, the systems are processing the forecast, and the forecast is being operationalized into the transactional systems. And the question is why? Why uh, are these companies decided to go to a touchless? Because they know, back to my previous point, that their best planners, their best people organized with the best tool in a network cannot compete. So there are processes where the computers are just simply better. I'll take a non-supply chain example, but automated trading. What I'm talking about already exists in the world. It exists in the world of trading where hedge funds have invested billions of dollars 
over 20 years to actually get to a point where their pattern recognition, we talked about it, uh, in real time, in nanoseconds, you're better off doing this with a machine than you're mm-hmm. doing it with a bunch of very skilled, highly trained humans. However, yeah. humans can train the machines, and that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we don't have much more, more time here, but I just want to finally ask you real quickly, if we can agree sure. on two things. One is that AI and machine learning is definitely going to take over some roles that were traditionally done by humans. And secondly, humans yeah. are still going to be in the mix somewhere. The latter being the case, would you describe for me what are the skills, what's the talents, what is the portrait of the human worker in the age of AI? It's a very good question, and I don't have the answer to that. What I can foresee is that the way we are going to work is going to be very different. You're going to value your network outside of an organization. So for the last 50 years, if you're working in a large company, your ability to network inside that company and understand how to actually decide and act, you know, operationalize a decision, really was key to your ability to grow and have a career. I think that's going to be taken care of by the computers. The operationalization of decisions, organizations are going to get a lot flatter, more network-based. And I think you're going to see that when I think about my kids, who are going to be entering the workforce in about 10 years, I'm thinking that they will have a specific knowledge on how to work with the systems that we just talked about. They have network. They'll be able to connect with uh, other people outside of an organization, and they're probably going to monetize their value at work across multiple organizations, across a network of entities as opposed to a single organization. So I think the EQ is where the humans are going to be always better than the machines. Your ability to connect, your ability to anticipate is one thing. But of course, in the context of a deep understanding of how the machines work. If you don't have the understanding of how the machine works, you'll be like an information worker today who doesn't know how to use PowerPoint or Excel. So deep understanding of how the machine works, but then the ability to connect and build your own network of competency that you'll be able to monetize, probably for a high return per hour, right? I think the pay will increase over time, given the amount of work that you're delivering, but you'll have to invest more of your time to maintain your network and be valuable. So I think I, I can see that move from this big structural pyramid, where you get in and you stay there for 20 years, to, of course, this network of individuals working on projects, monetizing their work, and moving from one cell to another, so to speak. Okay. Well, uh, fascinating discussion, Fred, and I'm happy to report that it was between two human beings. And maybe the day will come when, in, <laughs> when interviews of this kind are done between machines. But in the meantime, we certainly have an interesting, so. <laughs> yeah, interesting world to look at and an interesting future to divine with your yeah. help. So, uh, Fred uh, Laluio, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for the time and uh, really nice talking with you. That was my conversation with Fred Laluyo of Era Technology, talking about the future of AI in the supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.